This morning, we will be talking here about uh, our origin and about our destination, where we are going to. How have we been created? How have we come to exist? And what is God's plan for you and for me? We read here, we had this text read here of Isaiah chapter 64, verse 8. Where we read, But now, O Lord, you are our father, we are the clay, and you our potter, and all we are the work of your hand. I believe that God created us in spite of all the in spite of all the theories, in spite of all the scientific proposals, I do believe that God created us. You know, it's not, here, it's not common here in Canada. I would say actually that it's non-existent here in Canada. But in other countries, in Brazil, for example, and in the United States, when you go sign a, an insurance agreement and you sign a, your policy for this much protection, and in the contract, in the agreement, somewhere it will say that the insurance company would not cover the acts of God. And the acts of God understood to be earthquakes or uh, storms and uh, floods. Those are considered to be acts of God. And you know, just recently, we saw in the, on the news the earthquake right there in Nepal. And all of the destruction that it caused. And we look at that. I look at that and I think that's not an act of God. That's not what God had in mind when He created earth, when He created you and I. It is not fair that the insurance companies would mention that as an act of God. Would mention floods and earthquakes as if God was the one who would be causing it. That's not true. That's not God's plan. God never planned for you and I to suffer. And I'm actually happy that here in Canada that terminology is not used anywhere in insurance agreements. But sometimes you and I can look at this situation and you can ask, why? Why things like that happen? Why am I here on earth? Why do I exist? Why was I brought into this world? Why? I can tell you that I don't have all the answers. I don't have the answers. I don't know exactly why those things happened, but I know why I am here. And even though there are things that I cannot really understand, that I cannot really explain, one thing I'm sure of, that I have been created by God. God created me and God created you. He formed us. He created us. He made us as His supreme act of creation. And that was not by chance. We didn't come up here by chance as some theories would like to propose. As some theorists would want you to believe that we are all here by chance. As a result of years and years and billions of years of catastrophe. catastrophe. And finally we showed up here. Some theorists would want you to believe that you are a result of mutation 
and of billions and billions of years of mutation and finally you came about. I don't believe that. I believe that you and I were created by God. We were made by His hands. And God was intentional when He did it. It was not by chance. It was not by hazard. God created us. God made you and I. And when we look at God's creation, we understand where we came from. And when we look at God's intentions, we will understand where God wants us to be. God's creation explains our origin. God's intentions, intentions show us why we were created. So why we were created. Before we try to understand why we were created. We need to be sure that God did create us. You, shall, you should have no doubt. If anyone asks you. If anyone uh, confronts you. With some information. You should, have, you should be firm. You should be sure why you were here. Or I should say you should be sure that you were created. There should be no doubt in your mind. In regard to this. That God did create you. And in fact the Bible starts with this very sentence. At the beginning of chapter 1. Verse 1 in Genesis. The Bible says. In the beginning. God created. Uh, looks like you are not sure about that. I'll give you a second chance. In the beginning God. Created. Still some are not so sure about that. In the beginning, God, God created. That's all I want to hear. The Bible is plain and clear. In the very first, in the very sentence, in the beginning, God, God created. The Bible doesn't say in the beginning, by chance things came up. No, in the beginning, God created. And you go to, you, you notice just, just by the way, just a parenthesis here. You notice that I don't write the text on the PowerPoint. So I can give you a chance to flip the pages on your Bible and come to the text. Okay? So I want to I wanna encourage you to have your Bible every time you come here. And flip the pages and get there. Some people have their Bibles on their smartphone or on the iPads. And that's all fine. As long as you have the Bible, bring the Bible. And we'll look at text as we we study God's word here uh, every Sabbath. If you move now to Isaiah 64, 8, which is the text we read at the beginning, we'll see that uh, Isaiah the prophet says to God, O oh Lord, you are a father. We are the clay and you are our potter. And all we are the work of your hand. So right here we see the text, the Bible text saying that we are the work of God's hand. We were created by God. And we were, we were created in God's image. According to His likeness. And what does that mean? Well, you go to Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. Genesis 2, 7. And right there we see a description of the process of man's creation. How did God create man? Well, we know the story. God collected the dust of the ground, put it together, formed man, and breathed into his nostrils. And the man became a living soul, a living being. That's the process by which God created man. 
But Genesis, Genesis 1, 27, going back a little bit, Genesis 1, 27, tells us something more. Genesis 2, 7 describes the process. Genesis 1, 27 tells us that God had the intention of making man in his own image, according to his own likeness. So when God created man, he had already created all the animals, all the birds, all the trees, all living creatures were already created when God created man. And when God collected the dust of the ground and formed man, he didn't make man to look like a chimp. He didn't make man to look like a, a dog. He didn't make man to look like an elephant. He made man in his own image. According to his likeness. And that's a special quality that separates human being from everything else in God's crea creation. Right there you should understand that you have a special place in God's creation. You're not made in, in an elephant's image. You're not making any other animal's image. You're made in God's image according to his likeness. So man reveals God's image in several ways. You know, we think even though we live now in a sinful world, and we ourselves are sinful, but still God's image, God's likeness is revealed in us. And how is it? For example, we have the ability to create objects. We have the ability to, to create objects that were never before seen. For example... Architects can come up with designs and build and, and, uh, a building that was never before seen. People can paint, can draw, can create objects of art that never before were known. So in God's image, in God's likeness, according to God's likeness, man is able to create things. Man is also able to show compassion towards other people. And we are even able to show compassion towards strangers. That comes from God as well. And human beings are able to ponder the role and fate in creation. We are able to analyze what is our role here in God's creation. And that ability to ponder, to analyze, to think, think things through, that also comes from God. That's according to God's image and his likeness. So God, the Bible says in Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image according to his likeness. But God not only created man, he also created the woman. And the Bible says that male and female, he created them. So not only the male is according to God's image, but also the female is according to God's image and in his likeness. God wanted to have here within his creation someone that would represent him. And that's the human being. Someone that among all other creatures would resemble him. Would bear his likeness and would be according to his image. Now the Bible is clear in regard to God's creation. The Bible is clear. There is no doubt here. We just read Genesis 1.1. We read Genesis 1.27. Genesis 2.7. Isaiah 64.8. So there is no room for doubt 
that you were created by God. But let me give you two examples here. Outside of the Bible, outside of Scripture, there is also evidence of God's creation. Even though there may be many theories trying to point you to something different, scientists have also been able to find, even outside of what's written in Scripture, proof and evidence that God created us. For example, look at this. Scientists have come to understand that everything that is known, every phenomenon that is known, is actually made of three parts. Space, matter, and time. Are you following me? Oh, it looks like, like I've lost most of you. Are you following me still? Yes. Okay, you can speak out. That's all right. So everything in this planet, everything in the universe actually, is made of space, matter, and time. And let's give an example. This clicker here. It's made of matter, right? Because we can touch it. There is matter here. It occupies some space in the universe. And it also has a lifetime. It will not last forever. Right? As much as I would like to, not to have to spend on another one. But the day will come and it will no longer work. And it's the same with living beings. There is matter. They occupy some space. And they have a lifetime. They last for such a period of time. Everything else is like that. And that's something that the scientists, even those who are not Christians, have come to realize, have, have come to admit, that everything in the universe is made of space, time, and matter. And where did matter come from? It came from God. Because the Bible says that in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. There was nothing. There was nothing. And everything came to existence by God's word. So God not only created us, but he created the very matter of which you and I are made. The dust of the ground that God collected to form man, he created himself. God created time. God is above time. God is beyond time. And he created time that you and I could be able, would be able to exist within that time. And God gave us the space we have. God unfolded the whole universe. And within his universe, he created earth and placed us right here. So science, even those who are not Christian, even scientists who are not Christians, have to admit that time, space, and matter are present in all phenomena in the universe, and God is the one who created it. Have you ever thought about the tools, for example, you have at home? I have a few, I have some tools, and when I get a new tool, my wife will complain, oh, you already have enough. I'm not a compulsive buyer, though I should say that. I don't have many tools, I have some. And, and some that I would like to have, I have to borrow and I need them. But, of all the tools we have, of all the tools you have, think about it. Of all the tools you have, what is the most uh, useful to you? What's the most versatile to you? Have you thought about it? Well, probably there is a tool that is, is more useful to you than it is to me or to someone else. But let's look, look at this video clip. Sorry. 
at this video clip and let's see which one is the most versatile tool you and I have. For example, finger bone lengths follow the proportions of the Fibonacci number sequence. The sum of the smallest two segments of a finger equals the length of the third, and the sum of the second and third equals the length of the fourth bone. Your hand is a mobile golden spiral, perfectly balancing strength and dexterity. Also, extended fingers squeezed against one another show the offset knuckles meshing. If knuckles lined up, they'd rub uncomfortably and space fingers too far apart. Muscles that control the hand actually reside in the forearm instead of the palm, leaving space to hold an object or another person's hand. A large amount of your brain is dedicated to controlling hand muscles. This means that grip control combinations are nearly infinite and remarkably versatile. For example, a construction worker can easily curl three fingers around a bucket handle in a loose endurance grip. At the same time, his thumb can press a note card tight to his index finger while his pinky hooks a plastic sack. Simultaneously, his other hand can curl its last three fingers and press the palm firm over the fingertips locked in a power grip to carry a heavy hammer while the thumb and index finger gently pluck up a potato chip without crushing it. And how do people type so fast? The brain plans finger movements three actions ahead of time. Intervals between keystrokes are often as brief as 60 thousandths of a second. So it makes sense for the Lord Jesus to use the skill, strength, and awesome connecting power of our hands to express his love. He promises that his hands will guide, uphold, and faithfully keep his own in his powerful grip. Isn't it amazing? How, what's, what's the likelihood, what's the possibility of this having come into existence by chance, right? It is God's creation. It, it demands, it demands a, a, an author, it demands a superior mind to create all of this. So God has given us enough proof of his existence and of his power. And if you go now to Romans 1, 18, 21, look at this. God has given us enough proof of His power, of His creative power, of His ability. But someone may still choose not to admit it. Someone may still choose not to believe it, even though it's manifested all around us. But if someone chooses not to admit God's power, they are going to be doing that at their own expense. And Romans 1, 18, 21 says clearly that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Everything that we can possibly comprehend about God is manifested in ourselves and in everybody. You look at your hands, you look at your brain. The brain plan, plans three actions ahead of time. We just saw that. Look at yourself. Everything that we can understand of God is already manifest in us. God has shown us. Verse 20. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power, power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, 
They did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Someone may choose not to admit and not to recognize God's power in their lives. Someone may choose not to admit that God is real and created them, but they're doing that at their own expense, at their own risk of their own lives and salvation. So, I believe that you and I are by now sure, absolutely sure that God created us. There is no room for doubt that God made you and I, not only by the testimony of scripture, but also from science and from all that we can possibly understand of God's nature that is already manifested to us. But the question still remains, yes, I was created by God, but why did God create me? Why did God create me if he knew that we were going to rebel against him? Why did God make Adam and Eve if he knew that somewhere down the road they would be turning their back on him? And again I say that some things we cannot understand. Some things I cannot fathom. Some things I'll never fully understand. At least this side of glory. Maybe one day when we are in heaven, I'll ask God all those questions and He will provide us with an answer. And there will be subjects, there will be enough conversation for eternity. But while we are here, and we are faced with problems, and we are faced with illnesses, and we are faced with unemployment, and we are faced with challenges in the family, we ask ourselves, why? Why was I created? Why did God put me in here? Even before God would create man, He knew that man would reject Him. But still He created man. Man created in the very image of God would turn his back on God. God knew beforehand the ruin, the tragedies, the diseases, and all the suffering that would permeate our world. But still... God desired to create humankind. Still God desired to have on this planet someone that would represent Him in a highway. God never wished you and I to suffer. That was never His plan. But because He knew that Adam and Eve would fail the test and the consequences of that failure, God planned for a way out. So see, God never wanted man to suffer. But he knew that man would fail the test. And still he created man. But also he provided for a way out. That's why if you turn your Bible to Revelation 13.8. Revelation 13.8. The Bible says. The Bible de depicts Jesus Christ there. As the Lamb of God being slain from the foundation of the world. While Jesus Christ was slain as the Lamb of God at a very specific time in history, in the year 31 of our, time, of our era. But the Bible says that Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world. And the reason is because God knew that man would need a Savior. So right from the beginning, the plan was made. Plan B was, was formulated that man could still be saved. But not only that. 
that Lamb of God would willingly lay aside many of his heavenly privileges and come here to become one of us. So again, why did God create man? Why did God create you and I? Why did God create you and I? And again, I say we may never be able to fully answer this question. But we have some, some clues in Scripture, some indication in Scripture that will tell us why you and I were created. First of all, we know that essentially God is love. And love can only be demonstrated upon the object of that love. I can tell my wife that I love her. But if I were to ever spend more time with someone else, she would question that. I can tell my children I love them. But if I would never spend time with them, doing things with them, playing with them, they would raise the question, does he really love me? Because love can only be demonstrated upon the object of your love. And in his infinite God love, God wanted someone to love. God wanted creatures to love and that's why he created you and I. But he also expected men to reciprocate his love. He also expected men and women to love him in return. So God created beings that he could love and by whom he could be loved as well. But he also, we also know that God's love gives rise to his grace. Now look at this. God created Adam from the dust of the ground. He took one of his ribs and created Eve. And God's plan was to live with them in a, in a perfect love relationship for eternity. But he knew that at some point Adam and Eve would, would turn their backs on him. But because God is love, God's love engenders his grace. And when men and women failed, when we as human beings failed, God's grace entered the scene. So God's love generates His grace and His grace becomes applicable and needed and necessary to us because now we are in rebellion against Him. To continue this sustained loving relationship, not only God's love is necessary but also His grace so that through God's grace we can be restored to a loving relationship with Him. But scripture goes beyond this. And scripture tell us, tells us plainly and clearly. Why did God create you and I? Isaiah 43 verse 7. Isaiah 43 verse 7. We read this. Everyone who is called by my name. Whom I have created for my. Glory. I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. So I'll read it again. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I've created for my glory. So right here we see that God created us for his glory. 
What does that mean? Because God wanted to see His image in us. God wanted to see in us His likeness. God wanted to see us living and acting like Himself here on earth. For the glory of His name. But there is more to that. Not only you and I are expected. Not only you and I have the privilege of revealing God's glory to the world. We also ultimately will have the privilege of participating in God's glory. Revelation 4.11. Revelation 4.11. Revelation 4.11. We read this. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive what? Glory and and power for why why is god worthy for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created so one day one day a great multitude will be in heaven worshiping the the king of the universe and singing hallelujahs and praising god and saying you are worthy of receiving glory and honor and power. One day. Those who have made a commitment with God. Will have the privilege of participating in God's glory. Of being right before the throne of God. And giving Him honor. And rendering glory and power. We were created for God's glory. We were created to participate in God's glory. Now I think that all of us. Have an idea of what glory is. Do we? Do we have an idea of God, what God's glory is? What is God's glory? Anyone? What is glory? Well, looks like we're not so sure about that. What is, what is God's glory? What, what is glory? God's love? There are no wrong answers. You can say, you can say what's in your mind. What's glory? What shines out of Him? I'll give you, I'll give you a, a biblical definition here. The, the, word in the, words test, uh, the word in the Old Testament that is the, used the most for glory is kabod. Maybe you have heard this word, kabod, right? Uh, and it, the, the real meaning of that word is weight. Or magnitude. So yes. Glory in other instances. Is also used to talk about. Uh, the shine. What shines from God. But essentially. The, the original meaning. The most foundational meaning. Of the word glory in the Bible. Is in regard to God's weight. God's magnitude. And you know. Weight not in the sense necessarily of, of mass. But in the sense of magnitude, of, of greatness. So you were, you were made for God's glory. You were made to participate in God's magnitude. You were not made to live a, a life of suffering. You were not made to live a life of uh, di disappointment. God made you for something big. God made you to be a participant in His glory. But yet we live here in this world. And we have challenges. 
and we have problems. And maybe we don't have the life we wished for. Maybe you think about your life and you think about your past and you think about your family and you think to yourself, if I had had the chance, if I had the chance, I would have chosen another family to be born in. If I had a chance, I would have chosen something different. But this is the life we have. I'll tell you one thing. Each one of us has their shares of problems and issues in life. And maybe we would have chosen things differently. Maybe we would have chosen things differently. But I'll tell you one thing. Maybe you didn't have a choice in regard to the family you were born in. But Jesus had the choice of never having come to this world. Jesus had the choice of staying in heaven, but yet He chose. Yet He chose to come here and be a participant in our sufferings. Maybe you can choose many things in life, but Jesus chose to be one of us. Jesus chose to come here and suffer like you and I do. So what are we going to do about our lives? You know, God placed something in your heart. You may not be able to choose the family. Maybe you, you, maybe no. You surely could not choose the family you were born in. But God does put choice in your heart. Open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes 3.11. Ecclesiastes 3.11. This is a beautiful, poetic Bible text. Ecclesiastes 3.11. If it's not marked in your Bible, mark it right now. And we read this. He, speaking about God, He has made everything beautiful in His time. Also, He has put what? He has put eternity in their hearts. Except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. So, we see here that God created you and I with a desire for eternity in our hearts. God created you and I with a desire to be in His glory forever. That's why you may not be happy or probably not happy with the life you have. Because God created you for eternity, for eternal life. God didn't create you to die. God didn't create you to suffer. But He put eternity in your heart. And maybe you accepted Jesus in your life at some point. And you look at yourself and you see, I accepted Jesus, but some things didn't change. Some things never change. I'm still being persecuted in my family. I still carry some disease I have, even after I have accepted Jesus. God has not promised to put an end to every suffering here on earth. But God has put eternity in your heart. Which is much better than all of this. Because that gives you the desire to be with God forever. And that what He ultimately wants. So today. I hope that it's been made clear that you and I are God's creation. I hope it is also clear that God had a purpose, had a plan when He created you. You know, I read, uh, uh, I read something really interesting. That when, when there is conception, when men and women, when, when a woman, when a woman conceives a baby, 
there are actually 500,000 male uh, sperms that try to get to the ovulum, and only one of them makes it, right? So if you, and this is scientific, you think about it, out of five, about 500 million, there was only one who was able to make it to the ovulum. And that one is you. So it could have been someone else. It could have been a different person, but it was you. And you are you because that one was able to meet the ovulum. If not, you would be different. And God knew which one would make it. And God knew that that one would be you, would become you. And God placed eternity in that heart, in your heart, because He wants to spend eternity with you. So my appeal to us this morning is that whatever come in life, whatever trouble, whatever challenge, whatever we may be facing right now, let's never lose sight that you and I are God's creatures. Whatever happens in your life, never lose sight that you are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. God created you. And this discomfort that you feel when things are not going well, that's all right. Because that's a desire for eternity that God himself placed in your heart. And I pray that God will help you to make good use of that. That when you feel that burden, that discomfort, that desire to be with God, you cling on to that. You never lose, never let that go. That you keep your hand in the hand of God. And God will take care of you. God will see you through no matter what you may be going through in your life. And one day, all of this will be over. And I pray and work and I invite you to join me, join our family here. As we work together to make the coming of the Lord sooner, sooner rather than later. That one day this all will be over and we'll be living in eternity with Him. We'll be living with God, participating in His glory for what He has created. And what He's created us for. He's created us for eternity. May God bless you. May you keep your hopes high. Because God has a plan for you. And God wants to take you to live with Him eternally. God bless you all. Amen.